welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So when I was about to go to my final year of university, I spent that long three and a half month summer, you get in England, in South Africa, working with a Christian ministry out there called African Enterprise. And they had started uh, doing, uh, as a organization doing evangelism to the cities of Africa and they had grown and flourished and developed the Lord really blessed their work and so they had um, excellent Bible teaching they had this beautiful base where there was it was a place of rest and renewal and um, and there would be conferences and events and people get sent out on mission trips short and long term um, it was beautiful worship real heart for prayer which is uh, so vital. Um, and also at the same time, they were, they were very um, committed to uh, racial reconciliation. So this was back in 1990 in South, in South Africa. Uh, so uh, Nelson Mandela had been out of prison for about three or four months when I got there. Um, so for those who don't know your history, there was a thing called apartheid in South Africa, which was basically this incredibly wicked and I mean, genuinely demonic system where people were divided by your race into where you could live, where you could work, where you could hospital, where you could, your jobs. I mean, it was, it was, it was just utter cruelty. It was dreadful. Um, and so this, this organization was incredibly uh, diverse racially and had done a lot of work behind the scenes to bring reconciliation. And actually, one of the things they did that was secret at that time was that they turned out to be the key brokers bringing the ANC and the white nationalist government together in behind-the-scenes talks, because at that time, a lot of people thought South Africa would descend into a massive civil war. Um, while, while I was there, with, they were doing a lot of work with refugees. It was the, it was the most dangerous non-war zone in the world at that time. There was a lot of fighting for power in, in between different groups at that time. Um, serving in townships. Uh, so, I mean, literally, I can remember going into a township with a group and rebuilding a mud hut for a widow after some rains had come through. So it was, there was just incredible poverty. Um, uh, seeing all this stuff going on, but also part of what I experienced with them were, were signs and wonders, was the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was the first place I consistently saw this happen. So prophecy being enacted very powerfully. Um, healings, I mean, tremendous healings taking place. And uh, the thing I want to particularly just pause and say is deliverance. And so I remember going with a team. It was led by a guy who was ethnically Indian. So he called me his little pink friend. Uh, and <laughs> he was hilarious. Very, very funny evangelist. And um, he, he had, um, I mean, as a side comment, I remember he, he, he was, you know, would have been like a generation older than me. He had young adult daughters. I was that age who were so much fun, really fun to be with. I remember one day we go to a beach and we're, we're hanging out there and having a great time. And then I noticed one of, the, one of these uh, young women, um, she was weeping. And I said, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she goes, I've just realized this is the first time I've ever been to the beach with someone who is white. And you realize the depth of the pain in that nation and how much the, the, the demonic has got hold of that country. Um, but anyway, I was with uh, David and his team, and we went to an area in Durban, which is, uh, has a large Indian ethnically population. And so we're in doing various events. And I remember this one particular evening, it was in this house packed full of, like, I mean, over 100 people, most of whom were coming from a Hindu background. And there was uh, obviously some worship, there's some teaching, and then he was, he was calling people to, to turn from Hinduism to Jesus. And there was some, I remember very vividly, there were some folks there who had um, 
made vows to Hindu idols, Hindu gods. And one of the things that can happen in that culture is you'll get these little orange strings and say tie them around your wrist as a mark of that vow you've made. And so they were like, yeah, I want to be free of this. And he'd say, because he knew what, he knew, he understood the spiritual realities. And so he said, what we need to do is you need to cut that string off. And they'd start to do it and these demons would manifest in these people. Like you could see face contortions, these, you know, say sweet little girls but get very powerful and you know, in a kind of not a good way, um, you know, voice changes and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, like, this is incredible. <laughs> uh, learned a lot, asked lots of questions, seeing what's going on, but seeing this very powerful deliverance take place in people's lives. Now, it's a very vert when you go from Hinduism to Christianity. It's kind of a very um, clear sense of you're going from one God to the true God. Um, and so I think there is this spiritual battle that takes place in that moment. And so... Um, uh, that, that taught me a great deal. And actually, as kind of pull that story together, one thing that emerged out of that was uh, the Lord spoke to me about my calling. So at that time, my plan in life was um, I was going to go to be an attorney, go and be a lawyer in London. I'd lined up with a big law firm, earn lots of money, become a member of parliament, become prime minister, and reconquer the United States. <laughs> bring God you is back, merciful. Yeah, bring you back from your perfidious rebellion. Uh, ban coffee, tea is the only legal drink in the country, all that sort of stuff. But the Lord called me to church leadership. And what he said to me in that time was, uh, go and do in the West what you've seen out here. And his sense of this holistic gospel, caring for the poor, preaching the Bible, being built around prayer and worship, having community, having great life together, and doing signs and wonders, and stepping into healing and delivering the sick, being involved in the political realm. It's this whole picture, and I believe that's the call the Lord has placed not just on me, but on all of us. Yes, I mean, a few years ago when we, you know, started dating and getting serious in our relationship, and he started telling me about this and this call on his life, I thought, yeah, this is so totally what I want to be involved in as well. And it's, of course, not just just Alex or Alex and me, but it's for all of us. This is what the church should be about. It's not a building. It's not just sitting in pews and singing songs or whatever. We are to be the people who go and set the captives free amongst all sorts of other things. But anyway, this is the third in a series called Deliver Us. So um, Pastor Darren did a phenomenal job the past two weeks sort of laying a, a framework, Old Testament, New Testament. If you haven't listened to those, I urge you to go to garden.church, the app or whatever, and just go and download those, listen to those, those talks. So, yes, yeah, just a very good framework. But our whole goal today is to, when we just think about this whole area of spiritual warfare, of deliverance, is to make you think, to some degree, I can do this. Jesus has called me to do this. He's equipped me to do this, and I can do this. And we're going to walk you through how you can hopefully get to that place where we're all together to go and free uh, the captives with, under the, with the power of Jesus. So um, this, to an extent, is just part A. We're going to do a, a seminar in about 10 days' time. I think there's a slide advertising it. So if this whets your appetite, then there's going to be a deliverance prayer uh, training on a Tuesday night. So come, and it'll just be more of this. Uh, we're going to a bit more detail, a bit more practicality of, of you know, what to say, how, you know, how, how we do this, what it looks like. 
So I find it interesting when we look at all of this stuff, this spiritual stuff on a sort of a global scale, but also just, you know, through the generations. And it's fascinating when you, when you think back through the generations, this has been normal, this whole spiritual, um, you know, recognition of the spiritual realm, of the spiritual aspect of life throughout history or in most cultures. So whether it was, you know, the gods of the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, or whether it's tribal religions in different uh, parts of the, the, the world, where sacrifices are offered to appease the gods, or whether it's the evil eye, or jewelry in certain cultures that you wear to protect yourself, dream catchers in Native American culture to protect yourself from evil spirits. Um, but recognition of spiritual realities in all these different cultures. And, and um, there's an interesting quote by an anthropologist called Edward Fuchs, which is coming on the, the slide, and it says, every era and culture has known the state of possession in which a discarnate entity enters a living human being, either wholly or in part. And in about 90% of the cultures of humanity, there are records of possession phenomena. So interesting. And yet some people, I mean, I've got relatives who say, you know, this isn't true. But it's, I think this is opening up. I think, you know, you probably have friends, neighbours, people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, but who are recognising this spiritual realm. You know, maybe they're interested in crystals or spiritualists or tarot cards or supernatural movies or whatever it is. But I think there is an openness. And I think that loads of people, loads of your friends, your neighbours are having spiritual dreams. And they know it's a spiritual dream. They are having spiritual encounters. They are, they are sensing a presence somewhere or just having this, something appear to them. They are having spiritual encounters. And either they're sort of pursuing it in wrong ways or they have no framework to um, process it. So I think that's where we need to be aware and open to, okay, what's the Lord doing in different people around us so that we have language and that, you know, once we start explaining things, we can, we can actually help people step into, these, these, the, into freedom, basically. Mm. Uh, a couple of other examples. We were in an airport a couple of months ago and just killing a bit of time in a news agent there and looking at magazines. And there was uh, Harper's Magazine and on their front cover, the phrase was this, how to conjure a demon. And it, was an, and it wasn't a spoof article. It was an interview with a man who, who claimed to use the magic that King Solomon had and used, um, which, by the way, he didn't use magic. Um, and he detailed, in quotes, he detailed nearly two decades of spirit conjurations and regular interactions with ancient evil entities, named some. He alone could do this, he swore. He alone could summon those demons and bind them. He alone could prove their existence. So it's deep in our, he's a foolish man, but he's deep in our culture. Uh, another example, just around the corner from where we live, uh, we just live up in uh, uh, Bixby Knolls. Um, and there's one that's beautifully curated, cu- uh, curated but um, incredibly overpriced boutique stores for women. Uh, yeah, it's not designed for me. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it's full of like vegan felt hipster hats and um, $178 floaty dresses made from recycled coffee filters and... <laughs> $12 birthday cards that are made in various screen printed in various tasteful shades of lime green have been printed for you by trained iguanas who live in a commune in Patagonia or something. And, but alongside all that stuff, so we were in there, alongside all that stuff, there are all these books full of spells. 
There are all these products that you can, you know, you can have your foo-foo dream catcher or whatever it is you want to have or, or, or beautiful coffee table books that are all about witchcraft and liberating women into your womanhood. And, and it's, it's all around us. It's deep in our culture. And as Hannah said to you, I want to just, just make clear that you understand this. This is where your friends are receiving their religious information. You need to understand it. This is where your neighbors are getting their spiritual fuel. Not everyone, but there's a lot of people who are. People are really engaging with this stuff. And so what that means is we need to become clued in. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to become clued in on how do you respond to this? We can't just withdraw, pull up the drawbridge and hope it all goes away. That is not a good strategy. That's not a kingdom strategy, and it's not what Jesus commissions us to do. So we want to just have three points today, and they are this. What we want to do is help us know our enemy, know our authority, and know how to fight. And so what that means is we need some understanding of how the spiritual realm works. We need to be rooted in our relationship with Jesus, which is where all authority springs from. And we also need to know how to set people free and then to show others how to do that as well. In other words, we don't just explain the Holy Spirit and his power, we demonstrate the Holy Spirit and his power. So we're going to start just en route to that, look at some Bible examples. Okay, so let's start with Jesus. Let's recap um, briefly what Jesus' expectation is of his disciples when it comes to deliverance. So we've got a few uh, scriptures coming on the slide. Mark 3, 14 to 15. It says, Jesus actually explains what one of the core tasks for us as disciples is. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him, but he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So it's interesting, whenever Jesus sends out his disciples, whether it's the 12 or the 72, or we'll see in a minute, the Great Commission, he almost always ties it to healing. He says, preach, but heal, heal the sick, and cast out demons as well, pretty much every single time. It's an expectation. This is what we're doing. Mark 6, 12 to 13, shows us what the disciples did. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. And then when we get to Mark's version of the Great Commission, so Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, uh, it, it says, uh, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons and they will speak new tongues, etc. So basically, it is an expectation pretty much that if we are a disciple of Jesus, that we will be doing this sort of thing. And it, you know, you can get a bit scary and a bit crazy. And, you know, you hear some stories, you think, oh, my, I, could, I could never do that. But I think actually we're going to see that if we have the work in the authority that Jesus has given us, there is a way to do it calmly and really quite simply and effectively as well. Let's look at the book of Acts. We want to spend a few minutes in there. By the way, um, I would encourage you just to perhaps get your phones out and jot down these scriptures. Uh, if you know, or, or if you want to go really old school, there's a thing called a pen and a paper. You could do it on there. And the reason for that is we don't want you to take our word for it. We want you to take these scriptures and go and look at them yourself this week. If we say something and you're not quite sure about it, jot that question down. Go and research it or talk to other people. Because you need to ingest this and really process it so you, you deeply think, yes, that's right. That is my, that's what we are meant to be about. So, so do, do engage with us by um, perhaps, you know, Write a few notes down as you go with it. So in the book of Acts, I'm going to give you five, there's five deliverances in the book of Acts. There's, um, there's at least 20 that Jesus does, but the book of Acts has, has a number. So uh, here's, some, here's what they are. In Acts 5, 
You have uh, the apostles performing all these signs and wonders. In Acts 5.16, it says, you have Peter's shadow uh, delivering and healing people. So the words are, the crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then we jump on to Acts 8, verses 5 to 7, the story of Philip when he goes down to Samaria. So the first time the gospel goes outside the Jewish community. And it says this, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then we go to Acts 16. I want to just linger here for a moment. Acts 16, this is Paul and Silas and Philippi. And it begins, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So here's what's going on. There's this very unfortunate uh, demon-possessed slave garment, oppressed in her physical realm as a slave, but also oppressed in the spiritual realm by this very powerful spirit. And also on top of that, she's being exploited by the people who own her, slave-owning culture, and she's been exploited for profit by them. So she's in this terrible situation. Uh, if you go to the Greek, the Greek for um, the demon that's there, where it's, um, it says that she had um, a spirit, literally the, the Greek word is python. So it's a python spirit. And that refers to um, probably, a, uh, there's, uh, in that culture, there was renowned to be this big oracle at Delphi in Greece where people would go and they would kind of try and get their future predicted. And it was, it was protected by this big stone snake, which was all to do with a fable of Apollo killing this snake and so on. Um, but it's this kind of demonic snake. But also for us, as people who've read a bit of the Bible, your mind goes back to say Genesis and the, and the Garden of Eden, you know, Satan comes as a snake. And, and sometimes you, you have... Um, I tell you, I'm not going to go there. You have to come to the workshop for the next half of that sentence about pythons and snakes and demons. But anyway, um, but what happens is her, um, her probably involuntary speech, which comes from these demons, is regarded as words from God. And therefore, she's in great demand. And yet, weirdly, these evil spirits recognize Paul and Silas and their spiritual authority. And they begin to broadcast the news. So talk about the Most High God, which would have been a widely understood term. And uh, Paul, who's very kind of pioneering and apostolic and not very pastoral, uh, he, he gets incredibly irritated by this after a number of days. And um, he casts these demons out. And it's interesting, this superior authority, which these uh, evil spirits have recognized, now powerfully works in driving them out of this young woman, bringing her into freedom. Um, and what's interesting, uh, just what, one thing that's interesting about this text is to notice that Paul doesn't do it immediately. Have you, have you thought that? Why doesn't Paul do it the first time he encounters her? And I think there is something about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 5, 19, I only do what I see my father doing. So we need to be aware of that stuff. Now, if someone comes to you and asks for help, that's very different. Um, but we do need to recognize that in this realm of well, any um, 
operation of the gifts of the Spirit, particularly in the realm of the, if we're talking about deliverance, we, we must have discernment and wisdom in how we go about doing this. So, so we want to be smart about it so we don't just kind of, you know, you don't have to accept the invitation to every fight to which someone wants you to join in. All right, so just be wise about it. Um, so it's the balance. Don't always run away, but don't always fight. There's, there's a wisdom down the pathway there. Okay, moving on. Uh, Acts 19, two more texts. Uh, Acts 19, 11 and 12. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Raise a hand if you think it'd be how amazing it would be if, if things that you had touched could be taken to someone else and they'll be healed and have demons cast out of them. I mean, wouldn't that be like, that'd be... Now, I mean, the Lord's going to have to work on our hearts. By the way, if you raised your hand, the Lord's going to have to work in your heart and my heart so that we can handle that level of anointing and not mess it up. But nevertheless, we should, you know... That, that's a great invitation there. And then that verse goes on, uh, that text goes on straight away, verses 13 to 16 of Acts 19. This is quite a funny story. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. But one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? <laughs> Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So um, it's, it's, it's meant to be funny. You can laugh when you read that story. Um, but I think it also represents that, which we'll come on to a few moments, is it's all about relationship. The way we minister in the power of the spirit is about relationship with Jesus. We are not casting spells. That's legalism, that's the way of the occult. Instead, we operate out of relationship and we keep in tempo with what God wants to do. It reminds us of um, a friend we met, uh, well, we know in Pittsburgh, and he said that before he was saved, he lived in, in a large house, a whole bunch, crowd of people lived in there. And one of the women in that household used to do home cleansings. In it, she was a new age home cleanser. So she'd go off with all her sage and knickknacks and whatever and try and do this stuff. But he said to her one time, what happens if that doesn't work? And she said, well, I'll try this. He says, well, if that doesn't she said, well, ultimately, if everything else fails, I use the name of Jesus, and that always works. So, you know, it's just interesting. Um, there is tremendous power, spiritual power, in the name of Jesus, but we want to work out of relationship, nevertheless. So, Hannah, why don't you talk about how we know our enemy? Yeah, so we don't normally like to focus on the enemy. We like to focus on Jesus. However, we need to be aware of who the enemy is and how he operates because we're told we shouldn't be unaware of his schemes. And we will see he is a schemer. So um, it says, the devil, well, the devil is, a, uh, the devil, that name means slanderer. Another name for the devil is Satan, which means adversary. And basically, the devil is a fallen spiritual being. He was never equal to God. It's not yin and yang. He was like a fallen angel, more on a level with um, the archangel Michael or the archangel Gabriel. But he is utterly opposed to the purposes of God. In Luke 10, 18, it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he is this fallen angel. Basically, he was trying to, um, to become equal to God. He wanted what God had. And so because of that, he fell from God's original good intent for him. And one of the reasons why he so hates human beings and wants to destroy everything about us is that we carry the image of God in us. 
And that's what he wanted. So he is desperately trying to destroy that image of God in us because we have got what he wanted. So John 8.44 says, he is a liar. He is the father of lies. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. And so that describes who he is, how he operates, and it's, we need to remember that the devil's whole aim is to bring sin, death, pain, destruction to God's, all of God's creation, but particularly humanity, because we have the image of God in us. And so accompanied by his helpers, so demons or evil spirits, um, the enemy seeks to attack and to tear down and to ultimately pull us away from uh, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we need to remember and recognize that there is an act, there is an enemy. We have an enemy who is actively prowling around, often sneakily and so deceptively that we don't even, we think it's a person rather than him. And he's using that person to get to us. And he, he wreaks havoc. And to me, that explains so much of what we see, you know, in our lives on a national scale, whatever it is, you know, that he is just trying to bring destruction. Um, it was interesting, a few years ago, um, after a, a service, a woman came up to me and she said, I'm having all these thoughts of suicide. Uh, they're getting stronger, they're getting more intense, I don't know what to do. So I said, okay, Alex and I would love to pray with you. We arranged some time for the next day. We, um, we, we, we just heard her story. She'd been to um, a, a concert where there'd been lots of drug taking and weird stuff going on. I don't think she'd done that, but even so, somehow she was opened up to the enemy. And from that point onwards, she started having these suicidal thoughts, which just got worse and worse and worse. And she was saying they're happening all the time. And so we said, okay, so we just spent, we spent a, a while, probably an hour or so, just ministering to her, just calmly. Uh, we'd listen to her. We'd listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, how does he want to do with this? We'd rebuke any spirits of, of suicide or of death or anything like that. Um, the Lord highlighted a few other things to pray into as well. What are we going to pray in? And by the end, her whole countenance had changed, and she, was, um, she just said, I just feel free. I just feel like this weight has been lifted off off my shoulders and she went away and it was a big church we were in and it was about six months later I'd been organizing a prayer event and she came up to me at the end and she said hi do you recognize me and it took me several seconds to work out it was the same woman because she looked so different because the first time she'd come she was sort of she was literally cowed and you could just see this sort of darkness all over her. and the second time she came she was she was just full of life and light and she said since you've prayed I've not had one thought like that and you know this is the business that Jesus is in and so we you know there's nothing special about us but it's the Holy Spirit in each one of us. He wants to train us and equip us that we can all do this. So um, just a kind of look, quick disclaimer we want to put on there, which is we're not saying every time someone has a thought like that, it has to be a demon. So you don't want to make linear all the time, but there are patterns. And so that's what we're looking to recognize. That's why we do this out of relationship with God. Um, what we just, a, a way of understanding this, which we've kind of just pulled together from reading lots and experiencing things is we would suggest there seems to be maybe five this is kind of just a categorization to help us get our heads around it right but we think there might be five levels of demonic influence in people's lives 
So the first level is temptation. Just raise a hand if you've ever been tempted. Okay, some of you look a bit anxious. You're looking around. Should I raise my hand or not? Okay, so we've all been tempted. Even Jesus was tempted, Hebrews 4, 15. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so, you know, that's one of the ways, the, the most common way, that the enemy is at work in our lives. The second one is like harassment. So it's like flies buzzing around you. They're so annoying. And it's interesting that another name for the enemy is Beelzebub, which literally means Lord of the Flies. And so you're repeatedly harassed in a certain area and uh, it's distracting. You might fight against it, but it's just annoying and, and yeah, distracting, like something's just buzzing around you and coming against you. Uh, next level is oppression, which we describe as being like a heavy attack, which is persistent and crushing. So a way to describe, to use physical language, it feels a bit like someone's put like a metal band around your head and is slowly ratcheting it tighter and tighter. And it just feels this real pressure and weight and it's, it kind of takes over your mind almost in some ways. So it's just quite heavy oppression that can happen as, in certain stages of life. The next one is habitation. This is where you have a demon. And it might be something you've inherited. It might be something that one of your parents or grandparents did. They were involved in the occult or they were involved in another religion or something like that, like the story Alex um, told at the beginning. So something's in you and it needs to be prayed out. It could be behavior that you've engaged in in the past or something that's just been done to you sometimes. So, so habitation is when there is something there sort of blocking and, yeah. and it's in a, probably in a particular area of that person's life. So it might demonstrate, say, an explosive anger, but the rest of the time, you know, they're kind of operating normally. Um, and then the fifth level, the heaviest one, is possession. And this is where demons have a dominating control in someone's life. Uh, and it's almost like a li- it can also be where life is given over to their overall direction. And so what happens is that poor person becomes a prisoner a prisoner to the evil one. And it's a prisoner who's held in darkness, who is in solitary confinement, who's chained to a cold stone floor. That's the experience. Now, the devil doesn't sell it like that, but people end up walking down that pathway through some of the choices that they make. uh, Now, what you want to say about this is that you can't be a Christian and have this fifth-level possession happen to you because possession is about ownership. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are, the Bible talks, Paul uses the phrase a lot, you are in Christ, which means you belong to Jesus now. And so as a believer, you are now Christ's possession. Another another phrase that's used is we are prisoners for the Lord. We belong to Jesus. And of course, when you're a prisoner for Jesus, that's actually the way to true freedom. So um, there's lots more we could say about this. Uh, This might sound confusing and controversial. Uh, we're not doing it now. Uh, I did talk with Pastor Darren about this. We had a long conversation. We discussed it thoroughly. He agrees with what we said because you know, we wanted to be on the same page, obviously. And he actually plans on talking about it more in a couple of weeks' time when he's back. Um, so basically, Darren gets to clean up all the mess that we make today. So yes, awesome. Uh, we're very excited about that. But um, that's a framework which we would suggest to you. We're not saying you know it's like dropped from the Ten Commandments or something like that. But we'd say it's a helpful way to think about how the devil operates in people's lives. So we need to know our enemy. But let's then move on to think about knowing our authority. Know our authority. Because here's what happens. Sometimes it can feel like we are fighting an enemy who's constantly one step ahead of us. It seems like his power towers over above our own. Um, an analogy, it feels a bit like we're a, 
were a little chihuahua yapping at a grizzly bear. And we make a bit of noise and action, but our best weapon is we get to do a bit of ankle biting, which is not really going to bring it down. And of course, the truth is this. If it was me against a demon or me against the devil, I'm going to get crushed. All right, you need to understand that, which is why we need to be wise in this area. Okay, so you are not greater than the devil. However, me plus Jesus crushes the devil. All right, does that make sense? So you need to understand how this works. We can't go in foolishly or hastily or in our own strength, our own cleverness. But if we go in partnership with Jesus, allowing the Lord to lead us through his spirit, that's when breakthrough can come and change can happen in people's lives. Uh, Because Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has all authority and all power. Our enemy is powerful, but our savior is way, way more powerful. Colossians 2.15 says of Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Super quickly, uh, we're going to put on the screen just a couple of things about that Satan is not and compare him to Jesus. So, because Satan likes to make out he is the equal of Jesus. You know, it's like the two of them arm wrestling something, which is complete nonsense. Jesus is far bigger. Jesus is far greater. So one thing about Satan is Satan is not omniscient. In other words, to be omniscient means you know what every, you have all knowledge. Well, Satan is not omniscient, which means he doesn't know what you're thinking. I don't know if you knew that. Satan doesn't know what you're thinking. All he, the only thoughts he knows that you have are the thoughts he's tried to sow into your mind. But he can't read your mind. Only Jesus can do that. He's not omnipresent. In other words, he's not everywhere all at one time. He can only be in one place at one time because he's a creator being. And Satan is also not omnipotent. So his power is limited. He does not have all power. Only Jesus has all power. And Satan knows from the outset that he has been defeated by Jesus. And all he's trying to do is do as much damage as he can while he swirls around in the circling waters that are going to go down the plug hole of the final judgment. He is lost and he's going away. He will be judged ultimately. Now, if he can get near us, he's going to try and bite us and harm us and hurt us, but he has lost. He is on the way out. We need to understand that. Now, this in-between time, while we wait for the final judgment and the second coming of Jesus, this results in spiritual warfare. Now, what that means is that if you are in Christ, that phrase again, if you belong to Jesus, then you have authority in this battle. Jesus has not called you merely to stand back and cheer from the silence. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you're doing a great job doing the spiritual battle here. Thank you. You have authority. You've been given authority by Jesus to fight this battle alongside him. You have authority over the demonic realm. We are told in 1 John 4, 4, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. You should memorize that verse. He who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. Jesus has repeatedly and explicitly given you delegated authority from him to drive out all the work of the evil one. You have that authority. And whatever level of activity that you see from the evil one, there is a greater solution and his name is Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you have authority and power and I want to say responsibility to set the captives free around you. Now, there is wisdom about how you do this. 
There are mistakes to avoid. There are best practices that you want to take on. But I want you to grasp the underlying principle here that if you are a disciple of Jesus or if you're thinking about it, if you become a disciple of Jesus, then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are anointed to carry Jesus' authority and to continue Jesus' ministry of bringing freedom to the oppressed, to set the captives free, to bring light to the blind, to to set the prisoner free. That is one of the things we are primarily called to do and to be as followers of Jesus. So I want to encourage you and urge you to know the authority that you have in Christ Jesus. So it's about knowing our enemy, who he is and how he operates, knowing our our authority that we have been given delegated authority, and then it's knowing how to fight. So what do we do? So a story just before we get into some practicalities. So I was chatting with a friend of mine the other day and she was reminding me of a story that happened with her. She, she and her husband foster children and uh, a while ago she had um, a little three-year-old girl come into her household and uh, the pe- behaviour had been a bit funny but one day she just sort of pick, picking this child out of, out of the bed and holding, holding the little girl and just praying over her. And as she's, as she's praying... This little girl starts growling at her. And this friend sensed that it was, um, it was like cursing. This something was cursing her. And so she started declaring truth over this child. You are so loved. You are a child of God. And then she said, if there is anything oppressing you from the enemy, I tell you in the name of Jesus to leave right now. And nothing dramatic happened, but the child calmed down. And like a few seconds later, the child said to her, I love you. Never said those words before. And then the child said, that little blue monster over there in the corner that's been there every day has gone. Kids, kids pick up on stuff. Kids are, I know multiple people, adults in particular, but kids as well who sense this stuff. So just be aware. Okay. Uh, We want to take a couple of minutes and we're going to do just invite you into a little ministry time of empowering. Uh, just to give you some few practical thoughts on how do we do this? How do we drive out uh, demonic stuff? Just want to remind you, we're going to do most of this in the workshop uh, on October the 4th. So that's that Tuesday night. So we really want to encourage you to be at that. Um, so we just want to give you a couple of, because it just takes a bit of while. We want to give room to people ask questions, interact, because we realize some of it's going to be very new. But um, we want to just give you a few tools to start getting you going and to whet your appetite. So um, the essence of this is, okay, if you want the super, the super, like the summary, how do you do deliverance? All right, it's very simple. Jesus comes, the enemy flees. All right? So that's, that's what it boils down to. So that, so that so the core basis of what you get to do as a follower of Jesus is you get to invite Jesus into that situation, like the story we just heard there. We ask Jesus to come in and we ask him to drive out the evil one. The evil one has to leave in the presence of Jesus. The evil one hates Jesus, is terrified of Jesus, terrified. We don't need to do lots of drama. We can just do it calmly, but just knowing the delegated authority that you have to do that. Uh, Let's give, give you some examples, some situations. So maybe you have irrational fear or some irrational emotion just come over you. So whether it's persistent, harassing, fearful thoughts, or you just feel oppressed by fear. I think that stage one is recognizing that it's from the enemy, recognizing that it's a 
attack. And then you're speaking to that spirit or whatever that's coming against you. And you're saying, in the name of Jesus, fear be gone. And, um, and even sometimes tell it to go to the foot of the cross. They, they hate the cross. So go to the foot of the cross. And uh, Holy Spirit, come, fill this place with your love and with your peace. And then maybe start proclaiming some truths over yourself and over the situation. Thank you, Jesus, that perfect love casts out all fear, etc. Okay, nightmares would be another example. If you ever had, I mean, sometimes we get nightmares because we ate too much cheese or something like that. But sometimes, uh, sometimes um, we have, we do get people, we do get spiritual dreams. We get good spiritual dreams from Jesus. Anyone have a good spiritual dream from God? God's ever spoken to you in a dream? Just raise a hand. If you ever had God speak to you, so look around the room. It's quite a lot of hands. It's interesting. Um, but likewise, we can get dark spiritual dreams that the enemy sows into us. And sometimes, if you're aware of that happening, perhaps you wake up, um, or maybe you wake up at night and there's a, perhaps a dark presence in the room, which sometimes uh, people have that experience. What we do is we just say, be gone in the name of Jesus. So it's back to that original thing. We bring the presence of Jesus. We consciously, we, we perhaps vocally invoke the name of Jesus and say, ask Jesus to come and fill this space. Would you fill my mind? Would you drive darkness away from me? Um, what can be helpful in that moment? Perhaps if it if it's, feels like it's, it's, it's not going straight away, perhaps to start to speak praise to God bring worship to Jesus. Maybe even play some worship music that's not going to annoy your wife in the middle of the night. Um, uh, whatever you need to do. Um, open the Bible and read a bit of scripture. Read something up building from the Bible. But um, there often are these kind of battles at nighttime that go on. And so we need to be aware of that. And that the way you respond is you basically focus on Jesus and ask him to drive the enemy from that place. I'm mean, a quick example, again, talking about kids. I mean, my, my, I grew up in an atmosphere like this. I remember my mum telling me when I was little, if I had a nightmare. She would say to me, just say, in the name of Jesus, go away. And I was this high. And that's where, it's, at its basic form, that's what it is. And that's what I told my kids, you know, when you have the stuff, say, in the name of Jesus, go away. And, um, and it's as simple as that. Now, if you can, you know, invite the Holy Spirit. Worship is so powerful. But, um, but yeah, it's not just for adults. It's, for, it's equipping our kids too. Another example would be if you ever sense a dark, raise your hand, if you ever sensed a dark presence, an evil presence in a building, or in a space. Have you ever had that experience? And you, you're a bit sheepish about saying it out loud because it feels a bit, you know, Scooby-Doo or something. But, um, but that happens in the same way that you can feel good. Have you been to a place where it's just a real sense of God's presence? It feels a holy space. I'm not sometimes church builders could be like that or maybe someone's house. Oh, it just feels so peaceful coming into the same. I mean, I, I love it. We always pray around our house. We do, when we move in, we'll go around and we'll pray around every room uh, just as the Holy Spirit leads us, praying for the things you'd want in that room. So like a kitchen, you might pray for safety, bedrooms, pray for peace, living room, for great conversations, for people to be led to Jesus and, and so on. We will, we will literally, we'll anoint the doors with, with oil. Um, and because the oil in the Bible represents anointing with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, all the entry places, the corners of the property. And, we're, and sometimes we might redo that if we've had a lot of people through, just for like, just give a bit of spiritual spring clean. Um, but really what we're doing is we're setting aside that space for Jesus. And um, I think we can do that in the places where we live. You don't have to own a house. If you rent, it works equally well. All right, Jesus is an equal opportunity in these things. So wherever you get space, in your office, in your cubicle, even if you've got a tiny little cubicle at work, do it in there. If you're a teacher, in your classroom, wherever it is. But we're inviting the Holy Spirit into these spaces. And, um, you know, we've got, 
I won't go into the story. I haven't got time. We've got some amazing stories of God bringing deliverance into spaces where there's demonic spirits in those spaces, the Lord bringing deliverance out. We'll tell you those in the workshop. So come to the workshop. Uh, but the cool stories. Neighbours asking us. Neighbours asking us and so on. Um, so you get to do that. Okay, if you're feeling oppressed or under attack, um, what we, I mean, this happened last night. We were sitting at the, the dinner table and I, I just felt weird. And I got Alex and our son just to, to pray and they were just praying. You know, we break, it just seems that spiritual warfare, preaching on this stuff today. And so it's okay, you know, the, the, we, st- we break any assignments from the enemy in the name of Jesus. Um, we, you know, come, we just pray for any attack to stop in the name of Jesus. We just plead the blood of Jesus. The enemy hates the blood of, the Je- blood of Jesus because of the, the power that it symbolizes. And so just plead that over yourself, over the situation, over the building. Um, if the lies of the enemy, which you're just feeling, you know, oppressed by or attacked by, you know, you're useless or you're never going to do this or whatever it is. Again, it's recognizing them as being lies. Then it is, uh, it is declaring truth over yourself. It is, you know, actually, I am chosen. I was chosen before the foundation of the, the world. I, I'm loved with an everlasting love. God has prepared good things in advance for me to and it's declaring those things over the situation, asking the Holy Spirit to come. And worship again, if you turn to that place of worship, so powerful. But it's also worth bearing in mind that sometimes if it's that real oppression and real constant attack, sometimes you need to repeat it. So just by saying it once doesn't always happen. You have to say, you know, enemy be gone in the name of Jesus. This is the truth of who God says I am or what's happening in this situation and then go back to worship. So you might have to go through that cycle a few times. Uh, Another thing that can often happen is um, just just in in these situations is we've found that often there's a need for repentance or forgiveness. So one of the ways the enemy gets into people's lives where we hold um, offense against another person. And it might be that they did do, I'm not saying, can I say this, they might have done something really bad to you. All right. So it might have been they were genuinely in the wrong. Okay. But if we hold on to offense and don't let that go, if we hold on to unforgiveness, that becomes an entry place for the enemy into our lives. And so we found that one of the big areas is actually dealing with unforgiveness um, and, and also kind of related is, is being willing to repent of stuff the Lord brings to mind. He wants us to let go of in our lives. So those can be challenging. So I'll just kind of flag those up for us. Um, we, we ought to land this plane. So, um, uh, what we'd say is this, when, today we're not trying to get you to some super advanced level, this is not meant to be like the exorcist or something like that, um, what, but what we would say is that being able to um, respond to the demonic, to set the captives free, to be able to you know, drive out demons, is meant to be basic discipleship. If it wasn't, Jesus would surely have told us that. But again and again he says, this is just part of what it means to follow me, drive out demons. All right. So this is meant to be basic Christianity. This is not just meant to be for, um, you know, the people who are like super holy or something. It's all of us. If you're full of Jesus, you are enabled to do this. Now, just practically, we find that probably 80 to 90 percent. This is this is a made up number. All right. But uh, we reckon 80 to 90 percent of times where the enemy is oppressing someone, you can do the sort of stuff we're talking about today. And that's going to deal with it. Like it doesn't have to be some big mega a thing. Um, now, there's probably, there will be some times where there's something deeper rooted, there's something bigger to deal with there, and that's where you might say, okay, let's try and get some more help here, You perhaps church, church staff or, or people who've got 
that sort of authority to deal with that. And so that just takes, some of that just takes more experience as much as anything to know what to do. Um, but I, I just want to encourage you that there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And the way to remember how to go about this is it's not about doing the right formula of words. It's just about you walking with Jesus. It's about your relationship with Jesus. And we say, Jesus, would you come in here, drive the enemy out? Jesus, come, enemy, be gone. And we, when we see the liberty of Jesus come into that situation. And so you aren't able to do this. So in your house churches or with a friend or with a family member or maybe a, a, someone at work or a neighbor, it's these sorts of little scenarios of life. That's where we can start to drive the enemy back in all sorts of ways um, that they're going to bring real freedom. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.